Asechet Pesachim Mem He 45. We are going to see the next Mishnah, which is about dough that you use to plug a hole in a bowl. That'll be very interesting. Uh, but before we get there, uh, we're going to finish off our discussion on mitztaref, uh, which means joining together for have a permitted and prohibited item, and they get mixed up, and I eat a mixture of them, then I would be chayav for a kezayit, even if it's only half prohibited and half permitted. That's the concept of mitztaref, joining. And then we had another concept that's overlapping and similar, which is ta'am ke'ikad, that if some taste of a prohibited, some taste of pig goes into a pot or goes into something, uh, some food, then even the taste is like substance. Okay, these are two fundamental principles in mixtures. And we, see, we saw two opinions. Um, what I have in black here is what we already saw yesterday. What's in yellow on the chart is what we're going to see new today. So we saw yesterday that there's two opinions, Abiyochanan and Akiva. They um, say that uh, uh, that's one opinion, and sages are the other opinion. Both of these opinions agree with both of these principles, but they learn them from different sources, and therefore they apply them to slightly different cases. According to the Biochanan and Akiva, the concept of mistaref, joining together, is learned from Nazir, and it applies to Nazir only. We're going to see tonight that we can also learn it from Khatat and it'll apply to chatat only. So therefore, according to them, the concept of mistaref um, applies only to nazir and chatat. And they, they learned the law of tam ki ikar. They learned that from Gentile pots because we saw when they conquered Mijan and they got the pots and the uh, pots were non-kosher because they cooked non-kosher in them. There's no substance and yet they had to kosher the pots. So that's the Biochanan and the Akiva. The sages, on the other hand, they learned, they agree that the Tam Ki Ikad, they learned that from Nazir. And that they use Nazir as a source for everything, for all other prohibitions. What we're going to see tonight is that they agree with Mitztaref as well. And they, they're different applications, so you need both. And they're going to learn that from the Khatat offering. Okay. So we'll taste come back. For everything? For ev- uh, no, for only. Khatat offering only, only that. Yeah. So the, no, no, no. The, the, the taste. Um, the taste is for all things. Yes. Right. From Nazir, okay, because right, right. we saw uh, this is actually a good place to start. Yeah, Nazir yeah. is a very lenient uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, prohibition yeah, yeah. because it's only temporary uh, and so on. Three uh, things, right. This yeah. past Shabbat, we had a Nazir in, the, in our Bet Knesset. Okay. I'll tell you more about that later. Um, so Nazir is pretty lenient, and yet its taste makes other things prohibited, then all the more so everything else. That's what the sages say. Now, what we're going to start off is a question on Rabbi Yochanan Rabbi Akiva. If Nazir is so lenient, and why can't you use Nazir as a prototype for everything else? And just like in Nazir, you, you join together permitted and prohibited into one to make a kezayit, why not use Nazir to learn to all other prohibitions? Why do you say Nazir only? Okay, that's our opening question. Rabbi Akiva could borrow a, method, a methodology from the Rabbanan. The rabbis learned the, the, the rule of Tam Ki'ikad from Mishrat, which is Nazir, uh, soak something, soak bread in the water. And yet, if you have a kezayit of both together, that's prohibited. And you learn from that to all other prohibitions. 
So how, how, how come Rabbi Akiva doesn't do the same? He derived the principle that uh, permitted substance joins together with prohibited to make one kezayit. Why, why doesn't he also say, not only in Nazir, and learn to the entire shas, all, uh, uh, the entire Torah, all other prohibitions? Okay, that's the question. Amale, I mean, he's uh, is not around to answer. This is much later. Rabashe answers for him. Mishum nazir melamedin. He says, "You're right. If I had only the law of nazir, then I would be able to learn from that to all others. But there's actually another place." This is actually a very good exercise. Like if you didn't have Torah Shabbal and someone asked you, what do you do with mixtures? Where can we find a precedent? So there are, there is yet, yet another precedent in the Torah Shabbal for something that's a mixture. I'll show you what it is in a second. But the concept here is, if I have only one, then I can use that as a model for all, all others. But if the Torah tells me in two laws that a mixture uh, is prohibited, then I would say, why does the Torah have to tell me in two places? One would be enough. So anytime the Torah teaches me in two places, then, it's, then I learn that only those two places. So ironically, if it's only one place, that can be a prototype for all places, uh, for everywhere else. But if the Torah says two places, that means it wanted to tell me those two and nowhere else. Okay, unless I can find some reason why I need uh, the teaching in both of those places. Like I couldn't learn one from the other, if we can figure something like that kind of reason out, then they both together could be a prototype for all others. All right. So what are what is the other law? Nazir had Amaran. We already talked about what Nazir is. Khatat Maihi. What is the law of Khatat? Detanya Kola Yikdash. Okay, when you have a khatat offering, um, that, so that's, this is Kodesh uh, Kodashim. It cannot be removed from the, from, the, uh, from the temple. This is very, very, um, uh, uh, very holy. Now, if this khatat offering should touch other meat, either meat that's chulin or meat that's a lower level like shelamim. So what happens if they touch each other? Yikadash, um, the pasuk says, the meat that touches it also becomes Kadosh. Um, it doesn't actually become holy. It just takes on any prohibitions that will be associated with the chatat. So how does that work? Could it be that even if it doesn't absorb some of the, some of the uh, moisture, some of the actual uh, juice from it, then it would still be prohibited just touching, uh, you know, a little bit on the surface? The word Bib Sarah says that it touches, not only touches, it could have just said Asheriga Yikdash. Yiga Bib Sarah, that the, that the uh, some amount of the meat joins in with the other meat. In that case, when you have that mixture of prohibited and, and permitted, so what happens? Yikdash. It becomes like it. They get the same status. If the korban hatat was pasul, for example, it was notar or pigul, and it was prohibited from eating, then the meat that it touched also becomes prohibited from eating. And if the sacrifice, uh, sacrificial meat is kosher and is fine, a good sacrifice, then the meat that it touched also has the same, can be eaten, but with the same restrictions, only in the Beit HaMikdash, only for a day and a night, and so on. And so we see here yet another law in the Torah itself, 
where a mixture can receive prohibition by touching something else that is prohibited. Okay, good. So now that's Rabbi Akiba's answer. He says, I in fact have two laws, right? Nazir and the sin offering that touches meat. And these two now will be two precedents. Two precedents cannot, can only be that those themselves. They cannot teach anything else. And that's why um, I don't use Nazir to teach all the laws in Torah. I can only, I only say these two. All right, good. Now that we have know that, let's turn it around to Rabbanan. Rabbanan learned from Nazir the concept of Ta'am Ke'ikar. Um, so, but what about Chatat? That's also a similar concept of Ta'am Ke'ikar. Some of the taste of the Korban Chatat goes into um, regular meat and it will make it prohibited. So why doesn't he also knows the principle that if you have two precedents, then they do not uh, teach other laws. Um, they, they, you, cannot use them as, you cannot use them as a precedent for other laws. So what is Abedan going to do with that? Actually, I need both of them. He's not going to explain why right now. He'll explain in one paragraph. But Rabbanan, for some reason, needs both of them. Now we'll go back to the Akiva. Why exactly does the Akiva not need both of them? Right. So Rabbi Akiva, my Sarihi, Bishela ma i katavrahamana behatat, logamar nazir mina, the cholin mikodashim, logam dinan. If the Torah told me the law only regarding khatat, that could not act as a precedent for all other things because khatat is kodashim, and that is very holy and extremely prohibited. And so therefore, I would not be, I would not say that what applies a stringency of a khatat, I would not say applies to cholin. Maybe ta'am ki'ikad, or uh, in this case, mistaref, only in khatat, but the word, the law of mistaref would not apply to cholin. So if it only said it by khatat, I would not be able to learn it. Ela lichtov rachamana ben nazir, khatat v'tigmor mineh. But, according to the Be'akiva, if the Torah said it only regarding Nazir, that joining together, that the, the mixture becomes prohibited, even in one Kezaid, and then if I had only Nazir, I would be able to learn all other prohibitions in the Torah. So Nazir alone would be a good precedent. Yet the Torah went out of its way to teach it again regarding Khatat. If it did that, the point is to tell me that you know what? Don't learn it. Okay, Nazir and Nazir and Chatat only. No other laws does this apply to. So for the Akiva, we understand why they are not necessary and therefore are limiting as a precedent for others. But how about Rabbanan? Why does he? Why do Rabbanan think that both are necessary? See the word the Chatat um, uh, prohibition. They are using for one principle, the principle of joining together. Becholin bekodashim logamad. And that's it as kodashim, we cannot use as a precedent for anything else. So therefore, the law of mistaref applies only to chatat. Umishrat liten tam ki'ikar mikanatadan kula. And he's using the nazir for the, for the prohibition of tam ki'ikar. And that's the only one. And therefore, that can, you can use that for all of the Torah. So you see, Rabbanan are actually using these two for different laws. And that's why um, there's only one that's teaching about tam ki'ikar. And therefore, tam ki'ikar can apply everywhere. Not so for Rabbi Akiva, who uses both of the laws, laws for one for one thing, both of them are from Istaref, and therefore they cannot act as a precedent as a precedent.
Good. They're both referring to Misteref Lisur, and therefore, since it's two Pisukim talking about one law, that means that they limit each other and you cannot use them for anything else. Okay, good. So to summarize with uh, outline, all right, according to the B. Yochanan, who follows the Akiva, we the joining the, the concept of joining together to make one uh, substance that's prohibited and a kezait that applies to nazir and chatat, both nazir and chatat, but only those um, from Gentile pots. He does agree that tam kiyakad applies every, to everything. The sages also would agree that tam kiyakad applies to all laws, but they learn that from nazir. And instead, they use the chatat for the, they use chatat for the concept of joining, but only that because that's kodashim, so that cannot be a precedent for anywhere else. Okay, good. Now, Okay, now this is going to be a question on the on the Akiva's usage. Um, it says, look at the Pasuk. It says that uh, Nazir is prohibited from eating any part of the grape, and then it, it goes and specifies. Uh, the skin and the seeds. Why is it specifying everything? And we have a baraita that says, this is to tell me that um, if, I, if the nazir has a little bit of, uh, of the skin and a little bit of the seed and a little bit of the juice, but all together, if they join to make a kezait, then he would be hayav. Okay, so the pasuk is going out of its way to tell you that all the different prohibited parts join together. Now that's, here's the point of the question. You are deriving from this verse that permitted and prohibited join together, right? But if the pasuk goes out of its way to tell me that prohibited and prohibited join together, right? Then that must be the biggest chidush, right? Otherwise, it, otherwise that would be obvious. I mean, according to you, that bread and, and wine join together to make a kezait, why does the pasuk have to come and tell me that grapes, uh, that the grape uh, seeds and the skin join together, right? So rather it must be that the Torah is saying only Isur and Isur are joined together and not Isur Veheter would not join together. Well, otherwise, why would pasuk have to tell me that? So it's a good question. No, it's totally, totally two different things. When you have Isur Veheter, they only join together if I eat them in one bite. If I have a ham sandwich, right, and uh, it doesn't apply to ham, only applies to only applies to these things, right? If a nazir has a uh, um, uh, something, right, with uh, that has that is uh, bread and, and uh, uh, you know grapes uh, grapes in his salad, grape um, uh, fruit fruit salad, right, grapes and other things in it. He's only chayav when he has a kezait and at the same time in the same bite. Um, but the isur isur are even one after the other. First, he has some skin. Then he has some juice. Then he has some pits. Even if they're in separate bites, they join together. Okay, so this is uh, the end of this uh, concept. What we see from this discussion here, how different these principles actually are. You see, according to this, a fruit salad, even if there's no taste given from one to the other, they still would join together. Um, if it was a korban chatat and I make a sandwich, out of it. So the bread that is completely separate that I eat in that one bite 
joins together even if there's no taste. So that's a stringency that applies to the Mistaref law that does not apply to Tam Ke'ikad. And the other way around, also there's a stringency, which is Tam Ke'ikad, if I put the grapes, soak the grapes in water and take all the, strain all the grapes out, there's no grapes at all, only taste, yet Tam Ke'ikad would say that's prohibited. Mistaref, that would not apply to because there is no substance for which for, for it to mix. So these are, these are two separate concepts. And in the end, really, Tam Ki'ikad is the one that's important for halakha for us today, because the, the other ones, um, the mistaref, apply only to limited circumstances. Okay, very good. So now we get to the next Mishnah, um, which is uh, about plugging holes with dough. So this is very interesting. We're going to see uh, two principles. Let's see the two principles first, and we'll um, see how they apply. So you have dough that I put in the cracks of a bowl. If there's a kezayit in one place, a kezayit of dough all in one place, I have to get rid of it, right? I got to take it out of the hole and, uh, you know, I'm, I won't be so usable, right? But I can't, I can't leave it there. But if it's less than a kezayit, then batel, don't worry about it. It's a small amount, insignificant. It becomes just part of the bowl and I don't have to get rid of it. Okay, that's principle number one, which is about the size, kezayit or not kezayit. Principle number two. V'chen l'inyan tum'ah im makpid alav hotzetz v'im dose b'kiyumo harehu ka'areva. So regarding dough, I'll explain in a second what it has to do with tum'ah. Regarding dough, if you don't want it there, right? Some dough got stuck somewhere on the bowl, and it's just too hard to get out. So I kind of leave it there. But I really, one day I want to clean it off. I don't want it there. So if you um, are particular and don't want it there, then it, it then you have to get rid of it because that's dough that you don't want. But if it's an essential part of the, of the bowl, like this over here, right? If I'm using it to plug up a hole and I need it there and want it to be there, then it becomes part of the bowl. Right, and once it becomes part of the bowl, then it's not dough anymore. I can I can leave it as is. So that's a, a second concept. This applies to tumantara also. If uh, someone's going to the mikveh and they have something on their body that they don't want to be there, then it's a chatzitsa. But if there's something on the body that they want to be there, then it's not a chatzitsa. Like braces. Right? People want their braces to be there. Therefore, braces are not a chatzitsa. And this is the discussion of uh, nail polish, right? The woman has nail polish, it's all chipped, and she'd rather not be there. It doesn't look good. Then that would be a chatzitsa. She has to remove that. But if she has nice manicured nail polish that she wants to be there, then according to many poskim, um, this would not be a chatzitsa, and she can still dip there, right? So this is the same concept here. Depends if you want it there or you don't want it there. Okay, so now we have principle number one, principle number two. Our big discussion is going to be what's the relationship between these two principles, right? Um, uh, is it you need, is it both and or either or, right? Um, if you have uh, something that is big as a kezait, but I do want it there. Or if it's a big kezayit, but I don't want it there. What if it's small and I do want it small and I don't want it there, right? So it's not clear what the relationship is between these two principles. The Talmud is going to give us both possibilities. Explanation one is going to be either or is permitted. In other words, if it's less than a kezayit, 
it's totally fine no matter what. Even if it's on the surface and I don't want it there, less than a kezayit is nothing, okay? I mean, any uh, according to that, kezayit, like anywhere, less than a kezayit, the little crumbs anywhere in your house, you don't have to get rid of them. Don't worry about it. Um, or if it's even bigger, if it's more than a kezayit, but it's plugging a hole, then I want it there. I need it to be part of the structure of the bowl. That's also fine. So this way would be very permissive. This is be lenient. So explanation number two is maybe you need both criteria. It has to be less than a kezayit, and I need it there for the structure of the bowl to plug a hole, right? Only in that case. But one or the other, if I have it's plugging a hole, but it's more than a kezayit, no good. Okay, so that's explanation one and explanation two. Well, let's present them. We're going to see two taught. Each baraita is going to support one explanation or the other. Gemara. This is right. The whole distinction between kezayit, more than kezayit, less than kezayit, is only in a place where it's not strengthening the bowl and don't want it there, don't need it there. But if it's part of the structure of the bowl, then I do not have to get rid of it, even if it's more than a kezayit. And so that's what Shimuel said. And we could derive from that. Therefore, if it's less than, uh, uh, less than a kezayit, even if it's not part of the structure of the bowl, it's okay, I can leave it there. Okay, so this is the either or possibility. However, some apply the statement of Shemuel, not to the Resha, but to the Sefa. Okay, we only apply a distinction in the Mishnah um, when it's there to strengthen, but not when but if it's not there to strengthen, then you have to get rid of it. So that means a kezait. Even if it's there to make it strong, I have to get rid of it, right? Only if it is less than a kezayit and making it strong, that's the only time that I can leave it and I can keep that bowl as is. Okay, that's the two explanations. We have a braita according to both. We have two braitot, one according to each. The first one says, uh, that dough that's in the cracks of a bowl, if it's a place that makes it str- uh, strengthens it, it's not a chatzitza regarding tumah, and uh, you don't violate, um, on, uh, you don't have to get rid of it uh, on Pesach. Uh, however, if it's a place that, that is not making it strong, then it would be a chatzitza, and you would violate because you don't want it there, and uh, it's not an, an integral part of the bowl. All that's true only if it's a kezayit or bigger. But less than a kezayit, even if it's in a place that does not make it stronger, is not does not create a, a separation, and you do not have to get rid, you do not violate um, having it in your possession, so you don't have to get rid of it. Okay, so that's the first paraita that says either or and the lenient um, position. 
We have another Brayta that said the second explanation is stringent. So far, these words are exactly the same as in the first Brayta. Uh, the difference is here. Okay, the difference when we only make a distinction between uh, where it makes it strong and where it doesn't make it strong, if it's less than a Kezayit, in that case, if it makes it strong, fine. If it doesn't make it strong, no good. But a big piece of dough that kezayit is not allowed anytime, anywhere, no matter what it's doing. All right, so we have two bedaitot. All right, so now what are we going to do with these two opposing bedaitot? Right, how do we how do we resolve this? Very interesting. Delete the lenient one before the stringent one. Right, there are two contradictory things. It's a Doraita law. So I guess some, somewhere along the line, they, uh, some, some, uh, uh, some memorizer mismemorized it. And therefore, let's pick the stringent one and throw out the lenient one. Okay, quite an amazing thing to do. Just throw out a Baraita. That's what Avunah said. Rav Yosef comes says, Rav Yosef Amar, What, are there no Tanaim in the world? Uh, in other words, are there no opinions in the world that you now you're just throwing this out? Let's go and search. Let's see if there is, in fact, an authentic view that holds the lenient opinion, and therefore we can authenticate the lenient the, the lenient baraita. Don't just throw it out. Let's use some ingenuity. And he does. Look at this ingenious proof um, from uh, a slightly different topic. And uh, he compares it to ours. So, in fact, Tanaehi, he's going to prove that these two taught, these two interpretations of our Mishnah, are in fact the subject of a machloket between two Tanaim. And they're presented as Bright. Bread that got very moldy. You still have to destroy it. You still have to get rid of it out of your possession, even though it's moldy bread and not edible. You might think moldy bread, not edible, not food. Just leave it there, right? Who cares? No, you still got to get rid of it. Why? Because you could technically grind it up and use it as leaven for to put in other dough to make it uh, to make it rise. So even though it's not edible in itself, it is can be used for an, for a, an edible purpose. So therefore, get rid of it totally. That's the first opinion. I'm sorry, Rabbi, if it could be used for another purpose that wasn't even edible, but it had like value of some sort, uh, put it on a mousetrap or something like that, or use it like for something else I can't Good, think of Good, that's anything. the next opinion, exactly, right? Yes, I would agree that uh, this only applies if it can be used for uh, for some kind of food. But if you um, are make it for, if you take this big uh, bowl of dough that became hard and you say, I'm going to use this as a stool to sit on, right? Then that's certainly batel. This is not for food, for food uses at all, right? And even if it's the same item, if now I think of it as a stool, then now it's uh, not, uh, totally, totally okay. All right, good. So that's interesting, Machloket. Let's see how, it, how it's going to apply to our case. 
Mikelal the Tanakama Sabar lo batla. So, I mean, we're assuming there's a machloket here. It's never really quite clear when you have a Bamedim Amorim, is that just coming to explain and the first opinion would agree, or is it coming to argue? Okay, anyway, here we're assuming that, he's, that they're arguing. And that means that according to Tanakama, even if I made it a stool, it would still be considered chametz and I have to get rid of it. Wow, that's amazing. That means anything that's a, as big as a kezait, obviously if we use it as a stool, it's at least as big as a kezait, even though I designate its use for something that's totally for not, not for eating, it still is not batel, it still is considered chametz. Therefore, in our case too, when I have this bowl and I take a big piece that's big, as big as a kezait, and I use it for the structure of the bowl to plug up a hole, still, according to Tanakama, not batel, still not, no good, right? You got to get rid of it no matter what. Only if it's smaller than a kezait, then that would be okay. Ah, what do you, what do you see here? Tanakama fits with the second beraita that's stringent, and Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, who says that when you have even something big, like, the, like a stool, but you're, but you're not using it for food and you're using it for something else, then it's okay. That would fit with the first badaita that's lenient, that says even as big as a kezait, you can use it for, if you're using it for something else, it's fine. You don't have to get rid of it. Okay, so this is brilliant because now he's saying, don't get, don't, don't, don't uh, erase one badaita. We have someone that, that clearly would agree with that Baraita Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar. All right, this seems to work, but we have an insightful question. Okay, you found someone, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, who says that when you have a kezait and use it for something else, it is batel. But you didn't show that, as, as anyone uh, is of the opinion, that less than a kezait, that you're not using for any productive purpose, right? That's just there on the surface and you don't want that that would also be okay, right? That we, we didn't see anybody that says that. So you can only prove half the half the of the Braita, not the whole thing. So Abayi gives a totally new answer. He says, in fact, both Braita, I'm glad you brought up Shimon ben Lazar, that's useful. I'm going to say that both Baraitot are the opinion of Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, but I'm going to reconcile them in a different way by saying they're talking about two different cases. It depends where on the bowl the dough is. If the dough is on the inside, on the bottom, where I, where I actually do the kneading, then the dough that I put in is going to be touching the dough that's in the structure. And it's going to mix together, and the dough that's in the structure is chametz. And so I'm going to get some of that chametz into my dough. Uh, that I'm into the, my my, uh, my dough that I'm kneading, and that's not good. So in that case, that's the second beraita that prohibits if it's a uh, if it's a kezait um, in the place where I'm kneading. The first beraita that's lenient that's talking about on the outside of of it on another place up on top where the dough is not touching, and since the dough is not touching there, um, we don't have to worry about it. And that, that's where I can put the dough, even a, even a kezait size, if it's needed for the integrity of making the bowl stronger. Okay, so that's how we can actually say that both, but I thought, 
agree with each other, except they're talking about two different cases. Um, all right, that she has a whole different explanation of this, but that's more complicated and not, I don't think necessary because uh, this word Ella really comes to say something, uh, a new explanation altogether. Okay, one last point on this that Rav Asher will clarify. Don't think that when we say a place where where the kneading doesn't happen, does that that means all the way on the back of the bowl? Even on the edge, um, on top of the bowl, that also is a spot that we don't that the dough doesn't touch. So even over there, you can be lenient and have a full piece of dough. Um, uh, like we had in one of the pictures here, right here. So this dough is on the bottom. Here is dough that's on the, uh, close to the top. And she said, that would also be okay because the dough goes on the bottom and not near the, even if that's the kezayit, that would still be okay. So that's Rav Asher's contribution here. We ask Pishita, isn't that obvious? You don't put the dough, you don't need the dough on top. No, you still need to say that. Sometimes the bowl overflows and it will reach the top. So uh, so just in case you might've thought, otherwise Rav Asher says, don't worry about the rim, it's still fine. All right, good. Amar Rav Nachman, Amar Rav. Rav says, you can follow this lenient opinion. Um, good. Is that true? Also in the name of Rav. It says, if you have a, some, a, a mass of, of dough and you cover it with cement, and then, then it's okay, you can use it. I guess you'll use it to sit on or something, right? And that's batel. Well, that means that only if you put cement on it, but if you didn't put cement on it, just a pile of dough that I say I'm going to use to sit on, not good enough. Well, so, so this seems stringent. You just, Rav just said, that's lenient, but yet he said another thing that seems stringent. So which one is it? Two answers. Either these are two, uh, two traditions in the name of Rav. One by Rav Nachman, one by Rav Yisrael Parashe, and one, you know, one misheard or mis, mis, misapplied it. Um, so either there's a machloka between them, or Ikadam Ram Ram Nachman Amar Rav and Halacha Kedibishim Omen Elazar. He didn't say Halacha is, but rather skip the word. All right, he said the Halacha is not like him, and we can back that up. Right, only if you put mortar on it, then it's batel. But without mortar, it's not batel. And therefore, you see, Halacha is not like Rebu Shibon ben El Azad. Okay, very good. So that, um, that's the conclusion of that major topic. And now we're going to have three small topics to end off with. Number one, if I, uh, uh, we established, if I have a whole kezayit, I have to get rid of it. If I have less than a kezayit somewhere in my house, I could just leave it there. It's not to be less than a kezayit. And I wouldn't violate for having less than a kezayit of dough somewhere in my house. Question one is, what is this two half size, but they're connected to each other with a string of dough? Uh, next question, what if it's edible only to a dog? This is important. And third, what about flour that's used for tanning hides? At what point does it become inedible? Okay, first one. Amar of Nachman HaMashemuel, Shenecha Sezetim, so I have, let's say, in a bowl, I have a half kezayit here, half kezayit here, and between them is a string of dough. So does that little string of dough connect them together or not? Well, you do a test. 
Depends how thick and strong that string is. If I would pick up that string of dough and the other two balls would, would come along with it, then they are connected. If I would pick up that string and it would break, then they are not connected. Okay, good, very practical. This leniency that if I have two separate uh, half pieces of dough, half olive sizes of dough, um, I can still keep them around as long as they're separate. That only applies if they're in a bowl, I know where they are. But if they're somewhere in the house and one is in the kitchen and one little piece is in the living room, I gotta get rid of it. I know about it. I know that there's two pieces, I gotta get rid of it. Both of them. Why? Someone might actually sweep the floor and then they gather all the dirt together. And when they gather the dirt together in one pile, then they're going to touch and they're going to become a kezait. So therefore, um, if you know, obviously, if you know about it, you have to get rid of well, at least one of those Hatzizetim. Okay, so the, this is this is good practical advice because I mean nowadays you know we go and vacuum look for every little speck. Technically, you don't have to only if it's a kazait big. But the truth is, if you have like a piece that if you, when you join them together, if you decide to clean on Pesach and not before Pesach, if it would join up, then you would have a problem. So a good idea to get rid of. Uh, smaller pieces as well. Good. Amad Ola Ba'u Bema'araba Bait Valiya Mahu Bait Vachsadra Mahu Shede Batim Zelif Nemize Mahu Teko. Okay, good. So I know this law regarding two rooms within a house that are you know connected to each other. But uh, what if it's uh, uh, one, uh, two stories, right? You don't usually sweep from one story to the other. Um, what if it's one ha- house and an outdoor portico that's, connect- that's connected to it? Or what if it's two houses within each other and one lives in the inside one, but they have to walk through the outer one to get to their house, but there's not so much traffic. So there's, in all these cases, much less likely that I'm going to sweep them and join them together. So the question is, how, what's the likelihood that I need? So that was the question that we continued to discuss when we leave a standing takeoff. All right, good. Uh, second, um, how, how moldy does something have to be before it's not considered chametz? So something, um, a bread that gets moldy, that is inedible to a human, but is still edible to a dog, it does receive tum'ah. If it's a kabesa big, it can make other things tame even. In other words, it is considered food for regarding tum'ah and tahara. Right, with special, there's a, food becomes tame and, and, and gives off tuma in a way more than other objects. So it is considered food in this sense. And um, it would have to be burnt, um, uh, even if it was teruma, and teruma you shouldn't burn, but so we have to like really make sure it's chametz. Um, so it would be burnt uh, with tuma on Pesach. Okay, so therefore you see it is considered food. That's the first opinion. They say, no, it does not make other things tame. It's not considered food. As long as if it's, it's inedible to a human, it's outside the realm of food, um, uh, even if it's edible to a dog. So Rabinatan has a finer palate, right? And is therefore is more lenient. Now that we know this machloket, this mishnah, can we identify it? Kelala 
Keman, the Lokar Binatan. In Tarot, we said um, anything that is you that is specified to be human food um, is, is still considered tameh until it becomes inedible to a dog, right? So it has to be totally inedible even to a dog for it not to be tameh anymore. That obviously is Tanakama and not Rabinatan. Good. And last halacha, tanor The tanners use flour as part of their processing. And so he takes some flour and he puts it into his, uh, into his uh, machine. If you put the flour there three days or more before Pesach, then that is going to be sitting there in that bowl, disgusting bowl for three days. It's going to be inedible by that time. It's very smelly, the process of tanning. No one would eat that. But if it's only there for, uh, if it's for, there for three days or less, then it just put it there. It's like the three day rule, not the three second rule, right? And someone might still come and say, all right, it's just a tiny bit smelly from the uh, odors of the tannery. It's still edible. Okay, that's the first opinion. So that's only if that bowl was empty, but if you actually put hides in it, then the hides really make it totally disgusting. So even less than three days, even just one day, um, that flower will no longer become edible. Um, so again, the Binatan, just like in the previous case, is more uh, lenient. Uh, maybe he actually agrees. Amadava, no, he doesn't agree because of us is halacha, kerebinatan, afilu yom echad, afilu shaachat. Dava agrees with Rabinatan, even if it's there just for one hour, even just a short time, that flower is in the bowl of the tannery with the hides in it, it's already going to be uh, inedible. And so uh, that's the end of the halachot for today. Um, and you see that these are very practical, the, you know, and the kezait, and uh, this gives us a good barometer of how big something is needs to be for us to have to go search for it with our vacuums and rooms before Pesach. Baruch Adonai Lola, Amen ve'amen.